Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. We're in our, our last week of uh, four yep. weeks of giving. Last week. Last one. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we just want to highlight the final week of our four weeks of giving is mm-hmm. a organization called For Africa. Yep. Uh, you might recognize it as JAM. They've changed their name, and it's an organization that focuses on feeding the hungry in many countries around the continent of Africa. So um, we got a little video for you guys to see what yep. they're all about. JAM started from love. The kind of love that looks at the impossible I want to make a and dares to be brave. I want to go back and bring food to these people. The kind you can feel. The kind of love that became the very things that people needed. Like food, water, safety, and hope for anybody it touched. And that's where Jam was born. That's where Jam started. In the last three decades, JAM has reached more than 25 million people, provided millions of tons of food and billions of gallons of life-saving water. Today, this love drives us further to innovate, to expand, to have a greater impact, to reach more of Africa's people, by stretching beyond just aid to sustainability, away from charity towards self-sufficiency, from surviving to thrivability. This type of change can't come from the outside. It's the kind of groundbreaking change that can only come from within. And what made us different from the very beginning is what continues to set us apart today. Our work is done with Africans by Africans for Africans. This gives our love a bottomless depth and grounds our action in deeper knowledge that comes straight from the source. We know Africa because we are Africans. We love this place and we love these people more than we could ever say. Africa is our home and we know what needs to be done to see it thrive. What we stand for will never change. Jam has always stood for food, life, hope, peace, water, shelter, safety, family, community, for love. Simply put, Jam stands for Africa. So with the same heart, with great vision and a new name. Jam will now be known as For Africa. Welcome to the family. Go to forafrica.org to join in the love. So if the Holy Spirit has just put it on your heart to give uh, to this uh, organization, part of our four weeks of giving campaign. You can give the same way that you tithe. 
uh, either online or in person, but just make sure you specify what it's for. Make sure you write for Africa on there so that uh, if you're filling out the app or e-transfer or whatever it is, uh, they know where to put that. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and um, so last week's service was Jesus and Luke. This service... Jesus and John, and Pastor Larry has a lot to say. He's very passionate about this, and it's going to be an incredible service. So about a month and a bit ago, when Pastor RJ asked me if I would be willing to teach this session on uh, Jesus and the Gospel of John, um, I uh, began reading through John over and over and over. I, I can't even count the number of times I've actually read through the entirety of the Gospel, um, but I, you know... Um, apart from what I have learned from the Gospel of John, I have to say a huge thank you to Pastor RJ for this opportunity because immersing myself in the Gospel of John probably has done a whole lot for me, more for me than what I'm going to be able to impart to you. Um, it has been probably a transformational experience. And uh, having said that, I want to challenge you. A Christmas challenge. Anybody up for a Christmas challenge? Yeah, there's a few. <laughs> um, you know, spend some time over the next 30 days just immersing yourself in the Gospel of John. Probably one of the best books of the Bible. I mean, they're all great books, and they're all very important. But as far as a transformational book, in light of um, the direction that we're going, the culture we're trying to establish as a church, John probably has more to say to that than any of the other gospels. And, um, and if that sounds like a daunting task to go through the entirety of, of the book of John, just so that you know, um, if you do the entire thing in one sitting, it's actually not as long as, it, as you think. Um, the Lord woke me up at 1.30 this morning and I started praying because, I mean, when he wakes me up, there's a reason. So I was praying and, and meditating and, and whatnot and I'm like, okay, God, what's the purpose? Why am I up? And what, do you, what is it you want from me? And he says, I want you to read through John one last time before you preach. So I spent the rest of the night reading, again, the Gospel of John. And I finished before 6 o'clock this morning. And, um, but anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's life-changing. And if, it, if the entirety is too much for you, at least read through the, the chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, the heart of John's message in those uh, four chapters. And I believe as this book has changed my life, I want to believe that it will be transformational for you as well. Before I get into the depth of the gospel, I want to touch a little bit on the person of John. I'm not sure how many of you have really dug into who John was. And uh, John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. And um, him, together with his brother, James, were called the Sons of Thunder. And, well, th Sons of Thunder, what does that mean? Well, they were considered radicals. They were loud. They were haughty, prideful. Um, they, 
they got in trouble a lot. And um, as, I'm, as I'm contemplating this person, John, and um, how he became one of the most loved apostles or disciples in the clan of the 12 disciples, and so much so that he was called the beloved of Jesus Christ. And, um, and there are scenes of John leaning in the bosom of Jesus Christ. And I, and, I, and I ponder this and it's like, what on earth? A man, a young kid, so radical in his beginning and reading through the gospel of John, the book that was written just prior to his death, a transformed life. Uh, you know, um, you're going to have to read through it to really grasp, as Jeremiah would say, the gravitas of what I'm trying to tell you. Um, it's, it's words cannot explain. And one message by no means can do justice to the power of this book. The Gospel of John speaks of Jesus as the Son of God. 29 times, in fact, it references Jesus as the Son of God. And over 100 times, it references God as Jesus' Father. This alone is a clear example of John's purpose to help people come to believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. The way that this is emphasized in the gospel makes this gospel unique amongst all the other gospels. Not only has the gospel of John captured Christ's earthly ministry, but it strives to show him as the pre-existent Son of God and highlight his divinity while looking forward to his future reign as Lord and King, as God and King. From John 1.1 right through, that the purpose of the gospel is made clear. In John 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And then more clearly, at the end, it lays out with perfection the purpose of the gospel. In John 20 verse 30 to 31, it says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may, you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Now the words Messiah in, in, in another reference actually says Messiah, the Christ, anointed one, is a term that was used to define someone um, who would be both priest and king. And Jesus is the only one to actually fulfill those requirements. And of course, John clearly defines in that passage as well that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to break down three specific aspects of Portions of scripture and that in the book of John that define Jesus as the son of God. Um, and just a quick note for those of you who are taking notes and just for interest sake, my entire message, I will reference only scripture found in the book of John. Um, and the reason why I felt 
I needed to do this was just so that you realize how complete the gospel of John is in, in um, you know, the explaining of, of the gospel and, and how it's so important and critical to us as, as believers. But of the three, the three elements that I'm going to highlight, the first one is that Christ existed before humanity, proving his uh, divinity. In John chapter 1, starting at verse 1, I'll read it again. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. Continuing on in verse 2, he existed in the beginning with God. Notice, he, referencing a, a person, okay, so the word is a person. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. So God, the Father, did not create, but he created through the word And nothing was created except through him, the word. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now we know as we go through other aspects of scripture, that Jesus is the only one referenced as being the light of the world. So Jesus existed from the very beginning. Jesus is the one that created the heavens and the earth. Everything that was created was created by Jesus on the direction of his father. Later in John chapter eight, not a direct correlation to the preexistence, but definitely a clear understanding when you, when you take the whole of the chapter um, from the English Standard Version, Chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him. Now, just let me stop and clarify something. Jesus is dialoguing with Jews and, um, well, let me read it and then I'll clarify. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they responded, verse 33, but we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? And so continuing on without having to read through the whole thing, Jesus enters into a dialogue with these Jewish people regarding the the importance of who he is as an individual. They were looking back to Abraham as the important patriarch, the important father of, who they, of, of their existence. But then it culminates in verse 58, where Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, I don't know if you understand the fullness of that phrase, I am. But as we learn in other parts, because that phrase, I am, is used on multiple occasions, and it references this concept that he, everything that exists, exists because of him. He is everything. Everything. So the preexistence of Christ is really important because it helps us to understand that he truly was God himself, sent to dwell among men, the one to appease the wrath of God. Do you know that there is no 
human being in the lineage of Adam that could ever appease the wrath of God because of sin. Because through the bloodlines from Adam and Eve on, sin by nature is part of of every human being. And in order for somebody to appease, for someone to be able to appease the wrath of God, that individual would need to be flawless, perfect. Just like the sacrificial lamb, you know, in, in the Old Testament was a pure, spotless lamb, right? Jesus Christ is the only one that fit that. God the Father knew that the only way to accomplish and make it possible for humanity to fall or to come into a right relationship with him was by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for the sins of humanity. Secondly, Jesus was the son of God, reflecting God's character. You know, um, my, my oldest firstborn, Joelle, when she was born, she looked nothing like me. In fact, she looked nothing like Colleen at the time. But as she grew older, she still didn't look anything like me. She looked totally like Colleen. Anybody who have seen the two together know uh, they're definitely mother-daughter. And um, my son, on the other hand, when he was born, he, he looked nothing like me either. When he grew up, he still didn't look anything like me. But even though Joel and Jordan didn't look anything like me, as they got older, we began to see the character of their daddy in them. They had their daddy's character. So much so that um, for those of you that don't know, my wife and I, Colleen and I, with the kids, we were missionaries in Bolivia for 10 years. And our kids were young then. Um, But when Joel went back to be a missionary in Bolivia, um, so many people would comment to her who who knew Colleen and I, me in particular, um, they they would say to her, boy, you are just like your daddy. She had my character. And in the same way, the importance of seeing the character of your father, Jesus Christ represented the character of his daddy. He came so that the world would know his daddy. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who himself got, who, who his I can't even talk. Who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. It is through the Son that we get to know the Father, right? So if anybody wanted to know, well, who is this missionary who started the church in Bolivia? Oh, they just need to know my daughter and they'll know the Father. But even more so, Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was flawless. In John 8, 46 to 47, it says, which one of you convicts me of sin? This is Jesus talking. He was perfect. He he had no sin. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why we do not hear them is that you are not of God. 
If we are of God, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ was flawless. He was perfect in every way. Then in John 14, 30 to 31, it says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Who is the ruler of the world he's talking about? The devil. He has no claim on me, Jesus said. No claim. The only way that the enemy or the, the devil can have claim on anyone is through our sin, right? Jesus announced, he has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me. Listen carefully. He has no claim. Why? Because I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love my father. Jesus was omnipotent, all-powerful. You know, there are so many miracles that we experience as of God through the Old Testament. But the miracles that Jesus performed are, are mostly distinct. Miracles like turning water to wine in John chapter 2. Feeding 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread in the first part of John 6. Then later in John 6, walking on water. Anybody walk on water? I tried once. It didn't work out too well. My skis fell off and I tried to, I kept hanging on to the thing and I kept running and, but yeah, that didn't work. He raised Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And I know I mentioned, I'm not going to read any other scripture apart from John, but I'm going to reference because I, I really believe that it's critically important that I mention this one characteristic. Jesus forgave sins. In Luke chapter 5, there's the story of the paralytic man who was let down through the roof in front of Jesus. And Jesus, noticing this man's faith, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, some of the leaders, the Jewish leaders, they said, who do you think you are? Only God has the right to forgive sins. And in response, Jesus says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, take your mat and walk. So he says to the man, get up, take your mat and walk. So not only was his sins forgiven, but he was also healed. Jesus was omniscient. Hard words, all-knowing. I should just say it that way. In John 1, 48, he was able to see Nathanael under the fig tree, even though he wasn't there. All through the gospel, we read examples where he knew what people were thinking even before they said anything or they would be murmuring or, or grumbling to each other or they would be thinking something and Jesus would know exactly what they were thinking. He was immortal. In John 10, verse 17, the father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back up. This is Jesus talking. No one can take my life from me I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Can anyone apart from God have that kind of authority to lay his life down, to die and take it back up again? He has to be 
God or the Son of God. The last thing that I want to talk about is Jesus' intimate fellowship with God and how that proves his deity. In John 1.18, going back to that same verse, but in the New King James Version, it says, No one has seen God in any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. The idea of being in the bosom of your Father, that's an intimate, that's an intimate thing. Jesus had that intimacy. In John 8, 55, it says, you don't know, uh, talking about God, the Father, but you don't even know him. I know him, Jesus says. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you, but I do know him and obey him. God, Jesus Christ is representing here the fact that, that um, he knew intimately his father and he knew his father's will other examples of that we find in john 15 verse 19 so jesus explained i tell you the truth the son can do nothing by himself he does only what he sees the father doing whether the whatever the father does the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing can you imagine that kind of a relationship that's an intimate relationship. He knows his father so well. He trusts in him. Do you know, have you ever had a situation where you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to do something and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And, and so you have this argument back and forth. I, I did that once. It didn't work out too well for me. And if I'm to be completely honest, I just about lost my wife and my family because of it. Being obedient to your father is of critical importance. Jesus also shared in all things with his father. John 16, verse 15. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Jesus had a special relationship with his father that he had a way of accessing and bringing us to the Father in a loving relationship. In John 14, verse 13 and 14, he writes, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Do you hear what he's saying here? When we understand who we are and are confident in that, as children of God, and we understand the power and the authority that is ours, we can ask for anything in the name of Jesus Christ with the understanding that in our intimate love relationship with him, we're only going to ask for the things that are of him. So often we go into prayer and we're asking for things that are for me. They're selfish. Jesus only did what his father told him. That's how close his relationship was. And because Jesus is God, he's telling us he has access to the Father. So ask for things in his name and in his will. Jesus is the Son of God. There is no denying it. But what does that mean for us? 
the way to Jesus, the son of God, the way that Jesus, the son of God, lived his life here on earth was very, very intentional. Every aspect of his life from the beginning, John 1, where he created everything, all the way through to the very end, where he has dialogue with Peter. Everything Jesus did was intentional. The purpose of his life here on earth was that humanity would have an opportunity of knowing his father through him. But not only knowing his father, but that they would have a way of accessing the father through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He came that we can have access to the Father because that brings God the Father glory. But you know, he was also intentional in choosing his disciples. Why 12? Why the intimate three with Peter, James, and John? Why? Did Jesus need them for his own personal benefit? No. But he was representing or showing humanity the way to fulfill his commandment. The way to follow him. I can't tell you the critical importance it is to be a part of a small group. I can tell you prophetically that the future of the church is in small groups. And if you are not a part of a small group, you're going to suffer more than others. I'm not making that declaration over you, but prophetically, that's what the word says. Jesus was accountable to his father, but he also led. And he, and he chose 12 people specifically because he knew that growth, that maturity happens in small community. You can grow somewhat being part of this large congregation, but real growth, real maturity happens in small group. There's an aspect of small group. It helps to shape and form our identity. Do you know there's a word, believe? It's used 114 times in the Gospel of John. The word believe or a derivative of, believed, believes, believing, 114 times in the Gospel of John. Do you think it's important? Yeah, I believe so. Do you understand that the very source fundamentally of your identity is based on what you believe? It all goes back to the Garden of Eden. There's two fundamental beliefs that we carry. One leads to, leads to destruction, and the other one leads to life. Eve was deceived by the, certain, by the serpent into believing that of all the trees in the garden that they could eat from, it wasn't enough. She needed one more. Imagine, let's say hypothetically, there are a hundred trees that they can eat from. Why on earth would you need one more? Is 100 not enough? But that's exactly what the serpent did. He convinced her that it's not enough. 
that if they would eat from that tree, they would gain knowledge that they didn't otherwise have. You know what knowledge they gained? The knowledge of destruction, right? I'm telling you, the belief that you are enough, the belief that God is enough, the belief that you have enough is the belief that sustains you. It's the belief that gives you life abundantly. Is God enough in your life? Do you need something more? Anybody who struggles with their self-esteem, they're believing lies about who they are. That was me. I believed all kinds of lies about myself and I hated myself. Hated myself to the point that I wanted to commit suicide. Thank God I didn't. But you know what? I'm telling you, belief, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does that mean? That Jesus is enough. We sang this song that Jesus is everything in the name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in that one chorus, it says, he is enough. Is he enough? Is he enough for you? Intellectually, we say, yeah, he's enough. Practically speaking, how does that affect the way you live your life? Is he enough? We have eternal life through Jesus Christ. In chapter three, Nicodemus comes and how can I have life? And Jesus goes on to tell him, you have to be born again. Well, how can I be born again? Verse 14 in chapter three. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. And that happened on the cross. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but, that, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Do you know what one thing the devil does on a constant basis? Whenever we do sin, he tries to make us feel guilty about it. He tries to instill shame. And we forget the truth. Jesus is enough. He paid for my sin. Oh, what a wretched man am I, Paul says in Romans. I'm not going to read it because I said I'm only going to read from John. But for Christ. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done, even greater works because I'm going to the Father. How many of you believe that you can do better or more works than what Jesus did? Anybody? That's kind of tough to think about, isn't it? Do you know how it's possible? I'm going to tell you, it's possible. But I'm going to tell you how. Jesus Christ, while here on earth, was a single human being that was isolated to time and place. He returned to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come, and the Holy Spirit is not constricted to time and place. So as we, his followers... Live 
the Christian life that he called us to live, the Christian life that he commanded us to live, to go and love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we accomplish what Jesus could never accomplish. And so we do greater things because the message that we are supposed to give is a message of love. Love, love. How many times in, in John does it say, if you if you love me, obey my commands. Do you love him? John 15, verse 7. And I'm, I'm reading this from the ESV because in the ESV, the English Standard Version, John, John uses the word abide. I love the word abide. In the NLT, it says remain. But it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, abide has a stronger meaning. Abide is determined. It's, it's pressing in. It's doing everything you can to be in his presence. And I'm telling you, as I was reading through the gospel of John over and over and over and over, I could feel and experience the love of God in a way that I never have prior. I remember even this morning as I was going through, and I was going through chapter 15, I wept before the Lord. The immensity of his love is overwhelming. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. <coughs> By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to live the abundant life. Not the life of scarcity. Not the life of not enough. That was never his plan from the very beginning. As the father has loved me. This is Jesus. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. When's the last time that you have sat at the feet of Jesus like Mary and just soaked in that love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Do you follow what he's saying here? The method by which we are able to embrace the love of Jesus Christ is by being obedient. By being obedient. I'm gonna jump ahead to verse 12. This is my commandment. First he says, if we love him, we will obey his commands. Now he's telling us what his commandment is. That you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know how many times that we say, no, I can't do that. I'm not equipped. I'm not qualified. Are you qualified to love? Are you capable of love? That's what he's asking of us. It's not about sharing the right theology. Let's leave that to the Holy Spirit because he'll do it. The Holy Spirit is sent to convict, to guide and direct into all truth. It's not your job to guide people into all truth. We can help people. But we are supposed to equip you to love. You can equip people in your area of influence to love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
loving people is a matter of dying to self every day. And then, like Jesus Christ, being intentional about our relationships. I go to the same hairdresser all the time. In fact, if I go to the metro on, on, um, on uh, Tecumseh by Banwell, I always go down the same checkout counter. Why? Because there's the same lady standing there. And I have an opportunity of creating dialogue and sharing the love of Jesus Christ to the point where I get to know her more. And in opportune moments, we can say, can I pray for you? And we pray for them while she's cutting my hair, while I'm going through the ticket line. People look at you. I don't care. Do you know, in chapter 17, the most important chapter of the entire book. Jesus' prayer for the disciples and for all who believe. It's a prayer for unity. A prayer for oneness. Father God, as you and I are one, I pray that they will be one. Do you experience oneness with all fellow believers? Do you know what causes division among us? Grumbling, quarreling. When we get into theology and out of love, division happens. If we could focus on the love of Jesus Christ and sharing that gospel and that be our mission and our goal, unity happens. In conclusion, the gospel of John is very clear that Jesus is the son of God. The proclamation of this gospel forces us to make a decision about faith. We must come to either believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God, or we will have to disregard the clear evidence found within scripture. The only thing that God demands for our salvation and the gift of eternal life is to believe in the son of God. This belief means that we obey him that we come to him with complete faith and surrender as the Lord of our life and honor him in word and action. If we do this, such faith will bring us salvation and the gift of life. This life is not merely an existence in bliss after death. It is the divine presence of Christ joining with our lives now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I can just quickly interject, it's not in my notes, but if you go back to chapter 14 to the very beginning, Jesus talks about the very fact that he is going back to heaven to prepare a place for you. Prepare a place so that when it is ready, he will come back and bring us to be with him. Is that enough? Is that enough? Do you want more? I pray that it's enough. That as we focus on our eternal glory with him. To be able to enjoy the blessed hope of that love relationship in its full, in its fullness. That it's enough. Let's stand together.
So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. This is John chapter six. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now understand, he's talking figuratively. But he's talking about a life of surrender. To eat of the flesh of Jesus Christ literally is talking about are you willing to deny self for the sake of your father? Are you willing to take up the cross every day and deny your own wants, your own desires, to be obedient at all cost to your father? That's taking up the cross. That is dying to self. And when we partake of this bread, may it not just be a, a ritual that we do on a Sunday morning. Every time I take this wafer, I break it in half. And literally it brings me to tears. Because there is no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for a friend. No greater love. Can you imagine the depth of that love? Jesus died for you. As we partake of this, let's remember that. And then on the cross of Calvary, as he was hanging there, crown of thorns in his head, lashes to his back to the point where he was unrecognizable, back and front. Literally, the Bible says that, that man could not recognize him. Bleeding. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he says, I die so that you can be counted worthy before my Father in heaven. Can you imagine that, that love? What are you willing to suffer? What are you willing to give up for another? that they can experience life. As I partake of this cup, I say, Father God, fill my heart with that incredible love that as people see and reflect on my life, they see the character of Jesus Christ who is willing to suffer and die. Let's not just partake again ritually, but may, it really ref may we really reflect on the significance and the meaning of this. In Jesus' name. Father God, I praise you and I thank you for your, your body that was broken for us. I thank you for your shed blood. Lord, 
I pray that this morning when we leave here, this place, we don't just leave and go about our day forgetting everything. But Lord, that honestly we reflect on your love and we allow that love to transform the very meaning of our day, the very existence of why we are here. May it change the way we live and work. May it change the way we respond to our spouse, to our children, to our friends, our neighbors. That Father God, in every aspect of our lives and every aspect of the relationships that you allow us to have, people see and experience the love of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. I want to remind you that this coming Wednesday, uh, well, actually, the Wednesdays following to the end of the year, there's no services. Christmas Eve service on Saturday um, is at from 5 to 6. Christmas morning service, Sunday morning, only one service at 10 o'clock to 11. And then the New Year's Day service will be at... Uh, 11 o'clock till 12. And um, before we do the benediction, just one quick thing. Chapter 21. I'm not going to read it to you, but I'm going to tell you. Jesus has an encounter with Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. How many times have you denied Christ? And Jesus, in his incredible act of love, he confronts Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter replied, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt by the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know, I truly believe that often we're so quick to intellectually, intellectually say things without understanding the significance of it. And as a benediction, we've made this declaration and we've begun to form this habit of saying, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been equipped, now go and be the church. But do we understand the significance of that? Do we understand the weight of that? Do you know that if you walk out of this door and do nothing with what you've heard this morning, you're not equipped? The equipping only happens when you act out in obedience to what you've heard. And so I implore you to seriously consider these very words. And before I say them, if anyone is looking for prayer at the end, you're welcome to come forward. The elders would be more than willing to pray with you. I hope that you have a blessed week. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have now been equipped. Go. Be the church. Be the church.